On today's episode of the podcast, I am joined by a new friend, Julie Ellis. We met in January at an event for women entrepreneurs called Dovetail. Thank you, Alexis, if you are listening. And I was so drawn to Julie when I met her. She's grounded and wise and warm and also has a pretty badass resume as an entrepreneur and corporate leader. Julie is getting ready to launch her first book, Big Gorgeous Goals. So it was a treat to get to talk with her about her journey toward her own big gorgeous goals. I found the conversation pretty helpful for selfish reasons because as you all uh, may know, I am also getting ready to launch a book. And part of my vision for that book is also to organize a live show, a live circus production focused on themes around mental health, grief, and resilience. So the website for the book and for the show is newly live. It is touchingtwoworlds.com. And if you are in or near Minneapolis or you can get yourself there, this amazing show is going to take place on May 12th. And it includes a bunch of artistic performers and circus artists tackling um, a topic that is nuanced and difficult, but also beautiful. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Julie, and I look forward to sharing more with you about my own big gorgeous goal as it unfolds over the coming months. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. Well, Julie, it is so good to be with you and I'm really excited about a conversation around all the things that you're working on and thinking about, and you have such tremendous expertise to offer. So I thought I would start out by honoring that International Women's Day is coming up. And I think it's maybe worth taking a moment to honor and acknowledge the women who have come before us, who have helped to elevate the opportunities that you and I both have, you know, taken advantage of and really run with. But I wanted to ask you by way of a starting question, who are the, the inspirational women in your life? I find inspiration in all the small little corners. I feel like everybody I meet inspires me. I have a great group of friends. Um, I was at a conference in January with a great group of women, and that's where we met. And all of the women were inspiring who were there. They're all working on businesses, working on the world's problems. Those things I find very inspiring. I get inspired by my own coach, uh, who I've worked with for over a decade, and you know what her trajectory has been through like corporate HR, senior executive roles, and then coming out and founding her own business and helping other women, you know, lift themselves up and, and get to where they want to go. And so, yeah, I feel like I find role models everywhere I turn and everybody has an interesting story to tell. Which I think really says a lot about you in your willingness to see the wisdom that is all around you in people who are changing the world and in people who are who are just sort of living their lives in a in a positive way. 
So I love that openness. Yeah, I try to listen and and really take in those things. And um, yeah, I'm a bit of a thinker. I'm not always the most snappy responder, which I haven't always appreciated. But what I realized is it it gives me that, you know, like a couple of hours later, I'll be like, oh, that was really interesting. And so I, you know, I take things away and, and kind of unfold them in the silence afterwards. So one of your first big business endeavors, I know there have been uh, many, but Mabel's Labels is a company that you co-founded with several friends. I'm curious what it was like, or, you know, if you think that there were any unique components about that business venture, given that it was started by a group of women? We played in a space. It was an interesting, I think one of the interesting paradigms about that business was that we played in a space that was fun. It was a children's product. It was super cute and durable. And we built a really amazing community in the, you know, in the dawn of social media, because we took things from the soccer field online and we built a community of moms who were just trying to do the best for their kids. But on the back end of that business, 25% of our workforce was in IT. We built our own custom software to run our back end and make the labels and get them out the door. We got government grants to write that software. So, you know, we were this great combination of on the surface, what seemed like this super fun and playful business, but was this, you know, technology based company on the back end and, you know, how those two things could fit together. And I think often people don't think about them fitting together. Right. There's sort of this image of a group of moms, like stitching together labels or something like yep. while they sip tea in the living room. Exactly. And, and really you're running a tech company. Yeah. So that was super fun and interesting. And um, it kind of allowed me because I led the IT team. So it allowed me to, to sort of circulate in these two different worlds. And, and I really enjoyed that, getting those different sort of viewpoints and meeting different people. What were your kind of early leanings towards entrepreneurship? Did you have entrepreneur parents? Did you kind of come up in the world thinking... I'd like to help start a business. I'd like to, I'd like to run the show. I think I probably came up in the world feeling like I wanted to run the show, but not specifically as an entrepreneur. And so I was working in a corporate job as a financial planner and my husband was getting his sort of business off the ground while I sort of held the steady paycheck job with benefits. And then serendipity came in the form of my three co-founders and we were all, you know, facing having small children who were going to off to daycare and going to gymnastics and soccer. And we were being told to label everything. And when we asked how to do that, they said, well, masking tape and Sharpie. And we kind of felt like there was a real opportunity in the market to do it better than that. No one in North America at the time was doing it. And so it was the you know early ages of e-commerce and we thought we could make a go of it. So it was really that, that need, right? The market had a need you had a personal need of like, how do I make sure that my kids stuff is, is well tracked, but it sounds like you also had come, you had sort of these ideal set of skills to launch into being able to solve that problem or meet that need at scale. We did. And at first, you know, we definitely weren't at scale. You know, we were hand typing in the names onto the labels and printing them and cutting them and packing them and doing all the things as, as you do when you start a business. And at one point, about almost a year into the business, we got a really big 
it wasn't a media hit, but it was a subscriber newsletter who declared us, it was called the Daily Candy. They declared us the candy of the day. And it was like that. There's an old, uh, I think it's an IBM commercial where they're all sitting there and nothing's happening. And all of a sudden the little ticker thing on the wall starts going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It, it felt like that. Like all of a sudden we had all these orders and we sort of brought in everybody we could for four days, took some time off work and made all the labels. And in the end, you know, we counted them before we put them in the mailbox and sent them off to everybody. And it was like 350 label orders. And, you know, in the years after that, we would do 350 label orders in three or four hours. And so, you know, like the journey from that, everything by hand and no scale and sort of a cottage industry or a startup into the systemization and processes that you need to run a big business was a big journey for us. I kind of want to ask both questions at once, but like, what were the major like wins of scaling? Like the moments where you're like, yes, we nailed it. And what were the the heartaches or the hard moments of scaling? Do you have stories in either genre? Yeah. So there was a hard moment. So any business that does 25% of its annual sales in a one month period has a, a huge problem with expand and contract, right? In terms of resources and equipment. And that was our business. And, you know, there was one year where we hit back to school and we had exhausted the capacity of the systems we had. And I remember, you know, in the first week of September, walking into the production facility and labels unfinished labels were everywhere. Like it was like, and, and, you know, you kind of wanted to cry because it was very clear we'd reached the end of capacity. Like this is a mess. Yeah. And it was an organized chaos. I mean, we knew what was there. We knew what needed to happen with it. It was grouped by order date, but just the mountain of work that was there. And so that led us to, you know, completely needing to reinvent the system we use to manage our back end. You know, and once we did that, then, you know, I don't think we had such a bad time at that time of year for quite a long time. Did you seek out coaching to scale or were you kind of working it out as you as you went along? I would say we were always planners, but sometimes you work it out as you go along because the curveball comes in. We always had advisors, always, always had advisors. And, you know, people talk about building an advisory board for their business. And we talked about doing that. We never actually did it because we preferred to use advisors who were relevant to the problems we were trying to solve at that time. So we had somebody who was sort of an operational coach to us. We had somebody who was a retail expert when we built a product that we sold into Walmart and Target. We hired a retail expert to help us when we, you know, needed an accountant One of our advisors, actually, the person who turns the light bulb on over your head and said, Julie, your accountant's not doing his job. And I said, that's why I can't get the answers I'm looking for. And, you know, so we got an accountant who was more like not a paperwork filler. He was an advisor to us. And so bringing those people around you at the right times, and some of them have a season and some of them stay for a long time. And, you know, I would still, you know, six years out of the business now, I still have some of those people as my advisors for what I'm doing now. And much of what you're doing now is, is now advising, right? I know you've had a few things in the middle of it, but your primary role, at least in this moment, is in coaching and in helping other businesses scale. 
How do you like being on the other side of the uh, advisor advisee relationship? (laughs) I love it because I feel like the part of business that has always excited me is to sit at the table where the puzzle's getting put together. So that table of strategy where you're like, okay, well, what if we put these three pieces together versus those two? What are we going to, and how are we going to do it? And what are we going to chase? And that part, I can see it. I see the path. I see the four steps ahead. I've had to learn to take people with me for the four steps, but I can very quickly kind of assemble and be like, "Mm, mm, mm, oh, I think that one could work. That one could work. What are the pros and cons? Which one should we follow? And, you know, after we sold the business, it was one of the things I really missed was not coming to that table. So I find it really exciting to go and sit at that table and help other people build those plans. It's one of the things I enjoy the most about working, doing the work I do on the advisory side with entrepreneurs. It's fun, really fun. And so valuable because I'm in the middle of some big projects for myself and for my own business right now. And that need to have the sounding board to be able to go back and forth from like, here's my to-do list to like, here's the big picture of what the strategy is, what problems I'm trying to solve, how I'm trying to situate things. And I mean, I think every entrepreneur who has the benefit of a coach or somebody who can be that sounding board really knows the difference or feels the difference. Yeah, I think so. And and that's certainly what I felt from the advisors and coaches that we had in our business. And so that's sort of where I what I try to bring now in the work that I do. I'm curious what kinds of mental health or mindset things come up in your coaching practice? Because obviously my coaching practice is very focused on that part of an entrepreneur's life, but often it gets a little smushy, like it bleeds into some strategy every now and then. And I'm sure for you, there's some smushiness the other way as you're thinking about how to help people really engage in their businesses. Often it's some of their, their way of thinking or their mental, mental game that's shaping their success. Well, and everybody comes to you as a whole person. So you're not compartmentalizing the entrepreneurial venture or the corporate employee, for that matter, from the whole piece, all the pieces of their life, right? So I've always kind of viewed it for myself as a bit of more like there's no balance, but there's flow. So when my kids were little and we were building Mabel's Labels and I had left my corporate job and my husband was a real estate agent, we did a lot of high-fiving at the front door. So, you know, he had flexibility if we had a sick kid during the day and I had a day of meetings, but I'd get home at five, he'd high-five and off he'd go to work, right? And that really worked for us at that time. And it got us, you know, a long way. But it's also for me about like restoring myself. What, What do I get energy from and what takes energy from me. So doing something like that conference in January, that's an energy gathering exercise for me and giving, but, but I come home energized from something like that. So it's finding those kinds of things that give me energy, both in a big form, like a conference, but in a small form, I try to get up in the morning, eat a pretty good diet, not eat too much junk, get outside every day. If it's a nice day and I have a client and we're straight up coaching, like often I'll say like, let's, you know, in COVID times, do a lot of walk and talks. So, you know, put the AirPods in, get out on the streets and walk my neighborhood while we have our 50 minute coaching session. You can't always do that, but like just trying to find those things that kind of ground me. Getting outside every day is definitely one of them. Eating well, 
getting enough sleep. Like it's basic stuff, but it's amazing how we just, you know, get busy and pick up some kind of fast food hamburger on the way home. And that's, I really try hard not to do that. Well, those foundational things are so easy to let go of. And, you know, I similarly once gave a a talk at a big event and people really loved the talk. And I, you know, the host of the event asked like, what's your takeaway from this whole experience? And it was like, Dr. Sherry reminded us that we need to sleep a lot. And I was like, okay, (laughs) like that is not like my, my best intellectual insight into the world, but the reminder of those basics. And I think the permission as entrepreneurs to really prioritize them when it feels like there's so much pressure to make those sacrifices and keep busy and push, push things forward. Yeah. And things like, okay, so you don't want to eat fast food all the time. You can't cook all the time. What's the healthy in the middle? You know, is it a meal delivery service that it's still a healthy meal? Like, you know, you can solve problems without being on the ends of, you know, the extremes. Right. And so that to me, it's about finding those kinds of solutions. Maybe you aren't getting the eight hours of sleep, but you're not getting four anymore either. Like, how do you, how do you come into something that's better and make those kind of incremental steps towards things? So I know life is really full for you these days. You have a new book coming out, Big Gorgeous Goals. And the book's coming out in May? June 7th. June 7th. Okay. The race is on. (laughs) It sure is. (laughs) How how are you doing with the book launch stuff? And then, of course, I want to ask you more about the book. But how's that, that race for you these days? It's um, a real learning curve. I'm on a heavy learning curve, which is exciting, exhausting, and, and, you know, everything in between all at once is sometimes in the same five minutes. Um, And so I actually was talking with somebody uh, the other day and, you know, she suggested to me that this book launches my Big Gorgeous Goals. So I wrote a book called Big Gorgeous Goals, but getting the book to where I want it. And and really the launch is a start line. So also not burning myself out in the next 90 some days. But like, it's my big gorgeous goal right now. And so talking about it as a bit of a reach for the stars, I'm going to have things that are, I would love to do. And maybe I don't get quite there, but I'm going to get farther by setting this as my big gorgeous goal right now than I would if I played it safe. And so that's, you know, the journey that I've embarked on in this. So in a lot of ways, you know, the hard work is writing the book, you think, because that is not an easy endeavor. I wish that was the hard work. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not. (laughs) Yeah, so true. So the the hard work is like the business of the book, right? You've put so much of yourself into this, this package that fits in someone's hands and the process around how to craft that message and get it into as many hands as possible and really show up energetically in support of your work, I think, at least for me, is is always the hard part. Yeah, it is for sure. And to, you know, find a way to tell your story because the book was born out of sort of, I started delivering a workshop. It's always funny how you sort of back into things, right? So I started delivering a workshop. The first time I delivered it, it was in an accelerator program for women entrepreneurs. And I started telling the story of what happened to me after we sold the business. 
And so we did all these big things at Mabel's Labels, like things where people are like, you can't do that. And then our mantra was sort of like, watch it. Well, watch us. Here we go. And, you know, so we had this world domination is a full-time job saying on the wall in our office. And after I left the business, I really lost my way. And I, I ended up in a really small place. And, you know, the, I didn't know how to wrestle and put together the grief I had over selling the business where I thought I would stay forever with the gratitude for achieving the entrepreneurial dream of selling. Because let's face it, that's what everybody wants to do when they found a business. And so I didn't know how to express that I was grieving without looking ungrateful for the opportunity. And I had some misfires where I tried and, and was told I, my message was depressing and, and that sort of thing, right? So like trying to figure out how, and so I said nothing for a long time. And then I started, you know, a little bit more time went by and I, and I started to step out and tell the story. And I was really surprised how people received it. It was just, it was very relate. People related to it. It was very relatable. And so I started in the workshop and then I went to heroic public speaking and built a keynote around the same subject. And then I realized I had more to say. And so as I was kind of going through all these processes, it was, I, I feel like I backed into the book a little bit, but it felt like, you know, the keynote was the tip of the iceberg. It was the 10% and the 90% of what's underneath and how you do things and the systems you need to put in place and all of the work you need to do to build that team and the substance of it was in the 90%. And that's where the book kind of landed. And I, I imagine, I haven't read it yet, but soon, I imagine that that systems level thinking is so extraordinarily helpful to people. I think the big idea is the hook, but then people want to know, like, how, how, Julie, do I implement goals in a way that it's sustainable and successful? Yeah. And things like when you become an entrepreneur or a leader of any kind and progress in your career, nobody sits you down and says, here's how to effectively delegate. Here's how to work with the team. Here's how to, some of the things that like, here's what happens when you don't make a decision, that's a decision. And your team is waiting for you to make that decision. And so like all of those little pieces that you kind of realize over time, are important and nobody's nobody teaches them to you. It feels a, a little bit like the handbook for I mean not the mid-career but like the handbook for the the leader who's leveling up but needs the like here's how to adult in this way kind of set of advice. Yeah. A little bit. And so, you know, the book kind of formed out of my own stories. And then I interviewed about 20 women and gathered their stories. And they're people who've built businesses, they're not kind of household name people, but they're people who've done really amazing things and learning about their systems and learning about like, what was it that made them think big? Was it their upbringing? Was it like, what are the different pieces that go into that puzzle? Tell me about the title. Big, gorgeous goals. I think of gritty goals. I think of smart goals. I think of goals as like something that's sort of hard edge. Gorgeous is not usually a word that I pair with goals. So help me uh, put those together. There's something kind of juicy about the word gorgeous. Like 
like to me, a big gorgeous goal is actually anti a smart goal because it's not a box checking kind of goal. It's like, it's a dream that begins. It becomes a goal out of that dream. And it's something obnoxiously big. And, you know, where people think you might be crazy for setting that goal, people are like, whoo, but it's one of those things where like, if you get halfway there, you're so far beyond the box checking goals that you could set. And it, it's that white space, expansive thinking kind of goal. And it just, it has to feel gorgeous. There has something about it has to feel gorgeous. Has to be sort of alluring, sexy, yeah. sensual. You have yeah. to really be like, I'm drawn to that. Yes. And so it just, I don't know, there's something about, mm, mm, it's like, yeah, like, <laughs> is, there, <laughs> is there something sort of distinctly feminine about it in the sense that this book is from your voice? And it sounds like you've interviewed mostly women entrepreneurs. So I guess, help me understand the not that it's not going to be valuable for men, I'm sure it will be, but what's the like unique kind of women's voice here in Gorgeous Goals? Well, it's interesting that the pandemic has layered on to the writing of the book because women are coming out of the pandemic set back a generation, right? In terms of leaving the workforce, home responsibilities, educating their kids from Zoom at home, all of those kinds of things. And so it is written with a view to women because I think that we hesitate. There's a hesitation. And to be honest, it, it comes from like my experience in the angel investing world where, you know, there's lots of studies about women pitch with the identical pitch deck and the word for word with men and they get 30% of the funding and you know, versus 70 for men, like, like just those kinds of stats where you're like, what is it? So, and it pushes us back into smaller thinking. And so, and I think we're more cautious and conservative generally, but we have so much to bring to the table. And if we don't step out and set big goals, it's only to our own detriment. So I don't know how articulate that was, but but that's kind of the ball of wax that I was sitting with trying to, and I feel like that's where I was a victim of it myself. In the after of selling the business, I ended up thinking small and not valuing what I had. And so I had to find my way back to it. What were the like thought processes of thinking small for you? Like, what were you telling yourself that was so different than big, gorgeous goals? What was the thought process of like tiny little scraps of leftovers? <laughs> so it started with feeling a little frozen, right? Starting with feeling like, ah, oh, where to go now? And then having people come in while I was in that frozen state who wanted me as an expert and starting to tell myself, why do they think I know so much? I actually know nothing. And, and so then, you know, the spiral slowly starts and then the, the more frozen and then more doubt and then thinking you will help on a very small level. That sort of chipping away of your sense of yourself and what you knew. I don't know anything. I can't be helpful. Yes. Instead of sort of viewing that after any pinnacle comes a plateau. 
So I was going to hit that plateau after we sold the business and I left. It was totally normal. I needed to sit there for a while, but instead I kind of, instead of sitting on the plateau, I kind of shrank back and, and declined. And so, you know, and that was where then I wound up in a great scenario where I went and worked for somebody else for a little while and I had a great team there. It was a great business. I really enjoyed my time. He wanted to step back from the business. So I ran the business for a little while and it got me out of that small place, but it also made me realize that I wanted to build something again for myself. And so that's where I I am an entrepreneur. I don't think I'm actually employable by others. So (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the club. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So it was almost like you needed another domain in which to kind of prove yourself for a little while before you remembered what was possible for you, what you were capable of. Yeah. And then that's been now the journey to this. So coming out of that engagement, I got certified as a coach. I always had a coaching style about my management style, but I wanted to put the paper behind the you know, style. And so I went and got certified as a coach and all of those good things and really started then building my business. And so I've had pieces where I have a corporate focus. I have pieces on uh, kind of scaling and mid-sized entrepreneurs. And then I do a bunch of give back pieces to startups. And, you know, that is through two ways. One is through the angel investing that I've done. And the other one is through a couple of sort of innovation centers that do programming for startups. And so um, just being on their, you know, sort of panel of entrepreneurs and residents and help people who are in that startup phase. Helping other people connect with their big, gorgeous goals. Yeah. And seeing if I can leverage, you know, the power of my network to help people like give them the connections. Cause I feel like that's one of the things that people have always been generous with me is with an introduction. Yeah. So much of my success in my work has, it has a traceable line through relationships. This person, we had a great conversation over dinner at an event, which led to an introduction to this person, which led to this and that and that. And anyway, it's amazing how important those sort of network gatekeepers are. And I think, you know, this is something that is very much part of your phase of life right now is that you are, you are the gatekeeper. Like you are the person who has been there and done it and is in the place of creating opportunities for other people. How does that feel? It's sort of interesting. No, I think actually that that's really interesting because I have been so focused on the learning mode that I'm in, I have failed to recognize that. And it's very true also. And there's something actually that feels kind of full circle about that and kind of like, like it's a really great place to be. And that, and that the two actually sit quite well together because there's a, a gatekeeper aspect, but I can still grow myself and still become, I'm still becoming. I posted a little while ago, a quote from a Velveteen Rabbit on my, uh, on my LinkedIn page. And I got a lot of interesting comments, but it is like, we're all becoming right. Like, you know, in the Velveteen Rabbit, he's becoming a human, like a human. Yeah. And so what are we becoming? And so, you know, sitting in that gatekeeper role is really fun because I think it's an evolving role. It's not static. And then I'm in this heavy learning mode with book and launch and building a community and those kinds of things. And both of those are evolving. And I really like that. 
Well, thanks so much for talking with me today. Any Anything that feels really important to share that I didn't ask you about or? Take some time in your life. I just think we all like to be so busy and fill our calendars and our to-do lists and all of those things. And we need to find white space in our lives to, to go out into the world, get into nature, do something you love and open your mind to what your next big, big moves are and your big goals and the dreams you have for yourself and to figure out how to start taking some little tiny steps forward to go for it. Beautiful. Good reminder. When you said white space, I just imagine that like a big blank canvas mm-hmm. on which you're, you're creating, you're painting your big, gorgeous goal. Cause you don't, it's true. You don't know what you want and what you're after. If you don't have the space to really check in with yourself and your life and listen before choosing a direction. Yeah. It's so important. Thanks so much, Julie, for talking with me. So for folks who want to get on the list for big, gorgeous goals or follow all of the things that you're doing, what's the best way for them to um, friendly stalk you online? (laughs) Well, they can find me on LinkedIn or on my website at julieellisandco.com. Cool. Well, I will put that in the show notes for people who want that information. It's been delightful to talk with you. Thank you so much. And best of luck on the book launch. Please let us know when it when it's ready to go and we'll uh, let the guests know. I will. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.